calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Welcome back to Calling All Beings. I'm DJ, your host, along with my co-host, the man known as Money. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Happy Sunday. Happy Daylight Saving Sunday to all of you in North America somewhere. Good afternoon, Money. Also, we're going to say hello to the man with maybe, maybe, maybe the greatest hair in all of UFO Twitter content creation, the sexy, the funny, the incomparable hilarious kevin what's up holmes Woo! hello good morning good that morning brother I'm, I'm working on my intros a little bit you know it's gonna Woo! happen man. okay it's gonna yeah, happen cool. man all right no doubt and now <laughs> and now another person who's incomparable her appetite for this topic nathan will not be satiated it will no. her thirst will not be quenched Mm-mm. she is the host of deb's Data Dojo, put your hands together for Deb at a study of UAPs. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Good to have you with us. What's up, Holmes? Happy Grant Cameron Day. Can I get (laughs) an amen? Now, let's let's bring on the man himself. What we're talking about here is a Canadian original gangster of the UFO topic. Put your hands together for Mr. Grant. Cameron! <laughs> yes! Can I get an amen? Ha. Amen. Welcome. Welcome. Mr. Cameron, what's up, brother? Uh, lots going on. I'm pretty busy, and uh, we're just coming into spring here, and I'm excited to uh, talk about some stuff that I'm uh, working on right now. Oh, well, <laughs> we're going to have to get right up into it. Money, Nathan. Yes, Grant. So uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today and really thrilled to have you with us. And I thank you to all those who are listening uh, live on YouTube right now or whoever might be listening later in the future. Grant, you've, got, you've been in this game for a long time. You've been uh, researching for over 40 years, uh, starting out with uh, something that kind of catapulted you into the topic, your own experience in Canada, uh, kind of a nuts and bolts researcher for many years. Um, also focusing heavily on kind of the secret keepers and how the and who was given the information, the White House UFO angle. But then you had a, as I understand it, a pretty transformative experience in 2012 that really kind of shifted gears for you into the into the, looking at it from the consciousness aspect. And we see that to, in a lot of places now as well. I would like, I would love to hear kind of just your perspective looking back on that journey and and why consciousness itself is such a big focus for you right now. Um, well, yeah, it's been a long trip. It's been almost uh, 50 years, basically my whole life. When I had the experience, I basically sort of lost it. I mean, I just basically quit university. I kept going to university, but I was just really not interested anymore and really didn't know what I was doing in university or what I was going to make money, how I was going to make money with all this stuff. But, um, I had the experience, as you mentioned, which was very transformative. It was, uh, it's the old story that once you have the experience, it's like, um, you're sort of, you're down the rabbit hole. And we used to, over the years, we'd have a lot of people who'd say, oh, I, the guy's quit. He's, 
he's never coming back. And we always go, yeah, don't worry. He's coming back. No, nobody gets out of this thing. And it's like, it's that kind of thing where you can't really shake it. You know, people get divorced. You have all sorts of problems. They can't deal with people because they're different people. And I thought I sort of knew what was going on. I was doing what everybody else is doing now is this um, sort of nuts and bolts aspect. I was chasing the president of the United States because when I had my experience, the first night I saw it, it was very, very sort of like it fell off the edge of the earth. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then the second night it came directly at us. And this is not a light in the sky. This is an object. It was in pretty close, came right at us and made this left hand turn. And I remember as it was flying off into the north, I said to myself, what's it doing? It's not doing anything. It was just it was so weird. It's like it came to Carmen, Manitoba, Canada, which is like the middle of nowhere. Like, what the heck is it doing in Carmen? And I, I could not figure it out. Later, we had this idea that it had something to do with nuclear weapons and stuff. But in, in the end result, I thought it had to do with me because there was an, a film that was taken. If you're familiar with the the, the description of the Nimitz mm-hmm. um, encounter where it drops from 80,000 feet down to sea level in seven eighths of a second. Mm. Well, what got me involved was a TV crew from uh, CKY, which is a TV studio here in Winnipeg. I'd gone out to film this thing and they caught it jumping from the ground to 5,000 feet in the air in one-eighth of a second. And they caught wow. on film. Now, this wow. film is around jail, and Hannah got two copies. It sort of has disappeared. There's there's one copy, if you look at the documentary um, UFO Cover-Up Live, it's in there. No, not. No, it's in um, no, it's in uh, UFO um, UFOs That Has Begun. Jacques Vallée actually narrates it, 1979. It's in, the film is in there. Anyway, so I had this, and I was chasing, and I said, What's it doing? You know, and and I wrote a book. Nobody was interested in the book. And um, then I said, okay, this sighting stuff is a bunch of garbage. And still, I believe a bunch of garbage. It will tell you basically that UFOs are here. Something's going on. I even just got a 160 pages from Transport Canada here mm-hmm. in Canada. 160 pages of UFO sightings. Nobody's asked for me for them. I read about two pages and got bored with it. It was like same old thing. <laughs> lights in the sky. Jets were scrambled. They didn't see anything. And it's like. You know, we had a million sightings. Now we've got a million and a million and 160 sightings. <laughs> and so I, I, I sort of got depressed after nobody was interested in all these sightings. Because there's a lot of sightings in this town yeah. that, that I had the experience in. And um, nobody would publish it. And so I said, okay, that's it with sightings. I, I'm just going to, I, I want to know what was that thing doing in Carmen? And what's, what's going on here? What is this thing? So I started this pursuit where I chased the Canadian government. Then it went to the former president of Penn State University, who actually knew what was going on. And uh, people like Kit Green went after him. Uh, Hal Putoff went after him. We were the first to deal with this guy. And he basically talked in rhymes and riddles to us about uh, why should we change the rules to satisfy your curiosity. He knew exactly how this thing had been set up. He was there when it got set up. He had 14 honor doctor degrees, chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis. And I'm chasing this whole story. and I'm trying to figure out somebody's got to know what's going on here. And that led me to the president of the United States. And that's where I figured, well, the president's the most powerful guy in the world. I mean, he's got all these clearances. They're checking all this stuff. They got to be telling the president what's going on. So I, I chased the presidents for, well, I actually, I'm still chasing them because I've just filed all the Freedom of Information Act requests with the Obama administration. That just came forward last month, mm-hmm. uh, January 21st. You could file for the material. So I filed um, about 30 FOIA requests for Obama because Obama was by far and away the biggest president on UFOs. All right. the names, um, tell me about this story. Tell me about Jason or Jaden Smith, what happened there in the, in the situation room. 
all these these sort of stories where Obama talks about UFOs. And um, then in, in 2012, as you're saying, I, I basically got everything flipped around for me. I was sort of like spinning my wheels, like I think the vast majority of the UFO community is doing, just sort of gathering material, really not knowing what's going on. And it was there where I was, I was at a lecture in, in Phoenix, Arizona, where Colin Andrews was talking about the crop circles. Mm. And he's the guy that invented the term crop circle, saw the first one in 1982, uh, you know, chased this whole thing and basically came to this conclusion. He had Rockefeller gave him money and they, they investigated people who had done the hoaxes on crop circles and they'd run around and talk to these guys. And he came to this conclusion that 20% of crop circles were legitimate, 80% were hoaxes. Hmm. But in this lecture, what he was saying was, well, the people that were doing the hoaxes actually got this idea in their head. And so the beings were actually creating the crop circles from the hoaxers as well. They're telling the hoaxers what to put down. Hmm. So, so that was the lecture. And it was, uh, I wrote a book called Contact Modalities, where I talk about the fact that I believe that all the materials in the field, 40% of all UFO experiencers will say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, near-death experience people, 31% at one point during their experience say they knew the answer to everything in the universe. So the whole concept in contact modalities is that all the material is there. It's the ability to access the field, get in there, get the material and come back out, whether you're doing channeling, whether you're doing uh, you know, near-death experience, psychedelics, whatever you're doing, you're going in the field, you're getting, getting whatever you can and bringing it back. So I, I had the contact modality I always use is zoning out. I ran, uh, uh, DJ was talking about running. I was just running earlier, but an hour ago I came back. And so what I do is I do a lot of walking and I do a lot of, uh, uh running. I'll do three, three hours a day. And basically that's when I zone out and that's when I get all sorts of, uh, um, insights and I call them sort of uh, it's like a, a flow state where I know I know to get the pen out I know I'm in a flow state and stuff starts to come to me and uh, so w- what happened was that I was in the Colin Andrews lecture and one of the contact modalities is uh, daydreaming so you'll find that when you're in a, in a in a lecture like this where I wasn't interested in crop circles the only reason I went into the lecture was because Colin Andrews was this famous crop circle guy. And I figured, well, and he, there's this big controversy about the fact that he said 80% of all crop circles were hoaxed. People were booing him and they were, you know, he was having a real hard time. So I said, I should go watch this lecture. And I go, I ah, really not. In. Nah, I'm going to go. No, I'm not going to go. So I finally, I said, okay, I'm going to go into the lecture. Cause this is at the UFO Congress in the days when it was eight, eight days long. And you go to some lectures, you don't go to some lectures. It goes on forever, day, day and night for, for a week. So I decided, okay, I'll go in there. I wasn't interested. I was sitting there. I'm thinking about, oh, I'm going to go across to Bullhead City, uh, Arizona, and I'm going to go to the library and maybe I'll go for coffee. And I'm thinking of all these other things. And I zoned out. I wasn't paying attention to the lecture. And that's when it came to me. And it was nothing new. A lot of these flow states, downloads, whatever you want to call them, come to people when, for, for example, the, the laser came like this and so did the hologram. Both the guys won the Nobel Prize where they worked on the problem, they worked on the problem, they worked on the problem, they couldn't figure it out, couldn't figure it out. And they went and the one guy, Towns, was sitting outside a restaurant waiting for the restaurant to open on a park bench. And suddenly the idea just popped in his head. Just everything came together instantaneously. And the guy who did the, the, um, the uh, Gabor who did the hologram was sitting there watching people play tennis. Same thing. He was trying to figure it out, trying to figure, couldn't figure it out. He was sitting there watching these people play tennis and quieted the left brain the rational analytical brain, which is causing the noise in the signal. The signal mm. is there for everybody, but it's the left brain is causing this thing in the signal. So I'm zoning out. I'm not really paying attention. And it just boom, boom. It's just instantaneously. Three things came into my head all at the same time. 
and they all had to do with consciousness and UFOs. And one was in 1950, the Canadian government, Wilbur Brockhouse Smith, who was running the program, had gone to the Americans and he'd asked the American officials, not people on the street, not ordinary people, officials. And he'd written his top secret memo and he said, we were told by American officials the following things. Number one, flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. There's a small group headed by Dr. Vandevar Bush who are trying to figure out the modus operandi. The subject is of tremendous significance to the Americans. And then the line that came into my head instantaneously after that was the very next line in the document, which said, we were also told by American officials that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. And the Americans aren't doing very well because they've said if they're if we were working on the problem, they're willing to exchange credentials and talk to us. The thing is, the MK Ultra started six months later after that statement in the top secret memo. It happened in Montreal in a hotel in Montreal, Canada, 60 miles down the road from Ottawa. And Dr. Oman Salant, who was in the UFO program, was in that meeting with the CIA and with the British and with the MKUltra. And MKUltra was the whole deal is consciousness is important. we got to figure out how this thing works. And they were working on consciousness. They weren't working on maybe brainwashing as part of it. But it was this whole idea that they knew because the whole idea was 1950. Nobody had talked to an alien yet. Adamski and Williamson would not come forward till 1952. So how did anybody know that telepathy, that mental phenomena was involved? The American officials probably had a live alien from Roswell. They realized there was no steering wheel in the craft. You, You don't fly it that way. And they realized there was some sort of mental component to flying the craft. That's why in 1950, they already knew that mental phenomena is involved. They couldn't figure it out and they still can't really figure it out. So that was the first thing that came in my head. The second thing that came in my head was Dr. Eric Walker, who I mentioned, one of the guys that we chased for eight years. Very, very powerful guy. Worked with, uh, did an engineering study for President Eisenhower. Very, very powerful guy. And he said at one point, we're talking to him about the MK, MJ, um, uh, MJ-12. Mm-hmm. And we were asking him, uh, are there still just 12 guys? or And is it just an American group or is it international? And he says, hey, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And what do you know about the seventh cent? What do you know about ESP? And the guy who was interviewing from Great Britain really didn't have an answer. And he said, look, unless you understand about ESP and how it works, you will not be taken in by the control group. Very few people understand how this works. Hmm. And so there, and, and we didn't know at the time, that was 1991. I had no idea what he was talking about. And suddenly in 2012, in this colonizer's lecture, I go, oh, now I know what Walker, that's what he meant. That's what he was talking about. It was the same thing as this mental phenomena thing that Canadians were talking. And the third was Jan Harson, who was the international director of MUFON, has this lecture in 1993 where he goes to see Ben Rich, who was the head of Lockheed Skunk Works, who was always rumored to be the, the back engineering of the flying saucers. And Ben Rich says, we've now got the technology to take E.T. home. It's not going to take a lifetime, but it's going to take an act of God to get this thing out of Congress. And, and Jan Hartson is with his other engineer, and he's going, can you believe? Can you believe what he's saying? And it goes up. And he had an experience when he was 10 years old in the backyard, 50 feet away from a flying saucer with his brother. And he always wanted to build a flying saucer. And he became an electrical engineer to do this. And so he was fascinated. He went to Ben as Ben was leaving the building. And he said, Ben, I've been fascinated my whole life. How does it work? How does the propulsion system work? How do they get here? And Ben Rich turns around. And he says, exactly to the words, exactly what Walker had said two years before in 1991. He said, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? Mm. And Jan Hartson said, it uh, means everything in time and space is connected. And Ben Rich said, that's how it works. And he walks out of the building, gets in his car and drives away. Now, we've had other indications since then. Tom DeLong talks about going to the skiff 
he's taken into Lockheed into the skiff and he's talking to these guys and they're asking, what about this conspiracy website you've got? And he's trying to talk out of this stupid like QAnon website thing he was running in 2012. And and then the head scientist said, look, I just want to know. I'm all interested in is how do they how does it work? That's all I'm interested. How does this thing work? And then he's and he was hanging around with Greer at the time. So that and Greer is big into consciousness. So he says, oh, I think consciousness is involved. And he said, the head scientist said, now you're talking. Hmm. And he said, that's all the head scientist wanted to talk about for 45 minutes was consciousness. So that was the flip that, that flipped me in 2012. It was like the world had just flipped on its head again. It was like I, I, for two days I walked around and my head was just spinning. I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what consciousness was. I thought it was consciousness. I didn't realize it was non-local consciousness. Hmm. So the idea developed more and more as it went along and more stuff came to me to fill in the gaps. And in 2013, we were talking about this just before the show. That's when the first woman came. I was in Phoenix. I was giving my first, one of my first consciousness lectures at the big MUFON group in Phoenix. It was a big, very giant group there. And uh, Stacy, who runs the group, says to me, are you still going to talk to Pam Dupuy? And I said, yeah, I guess so. I figured I must have agreed to talk to someone. I don't know who she is. <laughs> and they said, oh, that's good. She's coming to my house on Monday and you'll meet her there. And uh, so I said, OK, whatever. So Pam comes to the to the to the, the door with her with her partner. And she says, uh, so what, what did Stacy tell you about me? And I said, I don't know. She just said you wanted to talk to me and it was important. And she said, yeah, it's good. She comes walking in. She's talking about, I was abducted. I was, through, you know, I was with a diaper and the beings were there and I, all this sort of stuff. And she's going on and I'm, I remote view for the government. She's going through all the stuff. And it's like, whatever. I've heard this stuff like a thousand times before. <laughs> going. And so she, and she's in her seventies. <laughs> and then she says to me, oh, and I was flying the craft last night. And I went, you are what? And she says, I was flying the craft. And I was, all I could think of was Saudi Arabian women who aren't allowed to drive it. Now it's different, but they weren't allowed to drive a car mm. unless their brother or a man was in the car. And I'm going, they let you fly the flying saucer. I just, <laughs> I couldn't believe I was listening to this. I go, they let you fly the flying saucer. He says, yeah, I've flown three different models. And I said, they let you fly the flying saucer. How do you fly a flying saucer? And she says, you do it with your mind. And as soon as she said that, I knew, I knew why they had set me up to talk to her because I was doing this consciousness thing. And that led to this book that's about to come out called the UFO Sky Pilots, where I gather three dozen people from all different professions, U.S. Air Force retired colonels, 747 uh, United Airlines pilots, uh, mostly women, which is kind of weird. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're a Saudi Arabian woman and you get abducted, they'll, you know, you'll they'll let you fly the craft. No, no brother in the car, in this craft, no insurance, no license, nothing. Just go ahead and fly it. And it came to this whole thing of why are they allowing people to fly the craft? Or the other thing that, that you see often if you go back to experiences, which is the key to this whole thing, you got to talk to the experiences, the people mm -hmm. who are actually talking to the beings, they'll describe being children and sitting in a room in a circle and playing this game. And they're being taught to levitate things. And there's these three different color balls and they're levitating these three different types of balls. And you see this, this sort of thing that people are being trained to do this kind of stuff. So that's basically what, what the consciousness thing and nothing has ever really gone wrong since that consciousness thing. Everything mm -hmm. that I've gotten in these sort of flow states Nothing has ever turned out to be wrong. I had the 2012 experience. Then I had the one in 2017. Again, I'm walking. I'm walking downtown, which is a six-mile walk. I go for coffee two miles in, and then I, I keep walking, and I know exactly. I can't remember exactly what year it was. I think it was 2017, but I'm walking down the street, and the flow state starts, and I go, get a pen, get a pen, and start writing, writing this stuff down, and there was 24 things that were given to me, one after another, and it was cold. I'd take my glove off. I was, I was writing this on this piece of paper, and luckily I did because you, you, it's like a dream. You will not remember it if you, unless you write it down. So I wrote all this stuff down, and um, 
it was basically the whole idea of that at one point they said, not only have you got it wrong, it's exactly opposite of what you think it is. And it was this idea, is the world made out of nuts and bolts? If it is, that's one world. And that has all certain rules and regulations. But it's made out of consciousness. That's a completely different world. And it's got different rules and regulations. Everything's going to change. Is it is it one life? If it's one life, then that's one one uh, set of circumstances. But if it's multiple lives, everything changes. Is it random? If it's random, it's one world. But if it's pattern, if it's all following a pattern, it's a different world. And it was these 24 things. Is it this? Mm-hmm. Is it this? And this is the idea. You think it's this. Exactly. It's exactly the opposite idea. And mm-hmm. all that has turned out to be true as well. None of that has ever turned out to be wrong. So I've, I've used a lot of this flow state stuff where I know... When I get in the flow state, it usually starts where I, I can feel it coming. Then I wrote write down one idea, and then it starts to flow. And I and I, and I madly write this stuff down. And I never in I've got maybe a thousand pieces of paper. I never reread the pa- pieces of paper. I, I, I once I write it down, then it's sort of in my mind, and that's the way I, I'm working. And so I say at the bottom line is the experiencers are the people who are in the field. They've, they, the beings have shown them how to get in the field, and a lot of that may have to do with disassociation. Or I make the joke. Why does an alien come into your room and scare the living daylights out of you? I mean, why would it wake up? Is it wake up, wake up, come on, wake up. And they wake up. And as soon as they wake up, they put your hand on your head and say, okay, go back to sleep. And you go back to sleep again. And I think that may be part of this dissociation thing. It's this trauma, this dissociation, ripping the veil, getting mm-hmm. you ready to go. And the more I see, the more I realize that that it it is not the world we think it is. I, I call it the 1492 dilemma. It looks like the world is flat. It looks like the sun goes around the earth. It looks like everything's solid. It looks like there's aliens coming from out there. There may not be any time. There may not be any space, especially when you look at out-of-body experience material, where you take a look at the out-of-body experience, which a lot of experiences, 80% of all experiencers say they've had an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. And that's not everybody, but it's getting pretty close. Mm-hmm. And then you start wondering, is this actually an event or is this is this an out-of-body experience? Is there really a physical world? Is there really a physical reality or are we in these different realities? Because if you take a look, yeah, and I'll end at this. If you take a look at the near-death experience, if you have a, a not a near, well, near-death experience, same thing. But if you have an out-of-body experience where you leave your body and you look back at your body, you can see your body there and you can see the head, which has the brain in it. And then you go, is uh, consciousness in the brain? And you go, <laughs> oh, it's not in the brain. Con- your, your body is in your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Your consciousness is there. You can see the brain. The, bra- the consciousness is not in the brain. Is is your sight in your in your eyes? We have these kids who do the blindfold. Mm-hmm. No, because you're seeing. And so you can even actually t- look around and you see the alien. Is the alien out there? No, the alien's in your consciousness. Look out the window. It's that nighttime. You see the stars and the planets. and stuff. Is that stuff out there? No, it's in your consciousness. And that's what Deepak Chopra says. Now you start to see this holographic universe, the simulated universe, uh, the beings in Great Britain that say it's, it's all an illusion. Or Deepak Chopra says everything's an activity inside consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're going in ufology. That's, I think, the big secret is that it is not the physical world we think it is. It's this very complex thing that is all inside. If there's no time and space, and I've had lots of people who've flown the craft who will talk about unbelievable things you can do, instantaneous movement from one point of the universe to the other. If there's no time and space, if everything's inside your awareness, inside your consciousness, how big is the universe? You're in my consciousness. I'm in your consciousness. Everything, as they said, uh, Greer used to use the expression, the the Sufi poet who said, 
You see yourself as a puny form when the universe is folded within you. Mm. If that is true, if the universe is within you, or as uh, uh, John Wheeler, the, the famous quantum physicist said, there's no out there out there. If it's all inside, the whole world is a different world than we think it is. We're just making these illusions. We think it looks solid. We think it looks flat. We think the sun's going around the earth. We think there's only 5,000 stars. There's only one galaxy. And the more we realize, the more we realize that we have got it wrong. Almost like uh, they've, they've mutilated the whole um, um, scientific method, Descartes. When you start looking at, at, at René Descartes, what he said was not be skeptical of new ideas. He said he was skeptical of all the material that he had been taught. I have to tear down my former my former life. And that's the thing we are. We can't give up the stuff we learned in school and all these ideas. We won't drop them. And because you have anomalies or Gary Nolan from who works with the, you know, the individual college people, he does the DNA stuff. He said it's the 5% anomalies that he's interested in because it's the 5% anomalies that tell you there's something wrong with the way we're viewing stuff. And it, when you figure out the 5% anomalies, you're going to win the Nobel Prize and have the inventions. As long as you continue to believe that everything you've got is right, you're never going to go anywhere. Love it. DJ, I think you're on mute. Sorry. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, not only was uh, uh, it amazing to be able to get you on the show, but the topics that you're covering I analogize to like going to Albuquerque and getting a Mexican sopapilla and <laughs> the sopapilla comes out and it's a warm piece of sort of uh, pastry bread. It's not flaky. And then when they bring you over the, the honey or the spicy honey, because for Nathan, you talking about consciousness and different realities. This is like he's got the warm sopapilla <laughs> and now he's going to dip it in that honey. And, mm. and now I'm really, really hungry. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, this is just like you're, you're right in his wheelhouse. Uh, man. Yeah, everything. And so, and, and so Nathan and I were having a discussion uh, of consciousness that has gone throughout the weekend. And I posed this question to him today. So I'll pose it to you. Um, with regard to consciousness, do you suppose, because, you know, we all, I think everybody that's on this cat, this uh, broadcast today believes that when this physical body passes, our consciousness will remain. And my question to you would be, is there agency as to where that consciousness goes and what it does? Uh, we talk about spirits that are in a house that, that, that seem to be, uh, want to affix themselves to a physical place and then interact with people that, that inhabit the home. But but do you think that consciousness uh, uh, has agency, your consciousness, mine, everyone here? Okay, so I go much more fundamental. There is no out there out there. There is just consciousness. So when you, Buhlman, if you, if you interview Buhlman, who's the top guy on out-of-body experience, he's the one that first triggered this with me. He said, you're not going anywhere. You're going within yourself. When you die, you go within yourself. There's no out there, out there. The time and space is okay. all this. This whole weird thing is what happens if it's all inside your consciousness. So you're going, you're going within. And I'll give you an example. I have a, an AI friend of mine who's an AI expert. And we got into the psychedelic thing. I wrote a book on psychedelics. I did uh, 16 high dose sessions of, of, of psilocybin and recorded everything as it was going on and stuff like that. And he was doing the DMT stuff. 
and he he contacted me the one day and I knew I knew the stat had already existed, but he said, I had a classic abduction experience last night. And I said, you did what? <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, well, th that was the story that when, when Strassman did the DMT experiments, he had this thing where 50% of all the people said they had seen beings and they're lying on a couch. This is 10 minutes in a DMT thing. And, and Strassman is going, have you been abducted? Do you think you've been abducted? And they go, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think I'm dead. And, and, and so when this AI guy said, I said, well, tell me exactly what this is. What, what is, what do you mean? Classic. He said it was classic abduction. I'm on a table. I can I can't see the beings, but I can see their arms and they're working on my head. There's like you always hear this thing, they're working on your brain or something. And I said, Really? And so where did he go? He didn't go anywhere. He was lying on a couch. And yet he said, and everybody will say, whether it's psychedelics, whether it's near-death experience, whether it's out-of-body experience, that's the real world. We think, oh, it's just an illusion or what? No, they'll say, that's the real world. You're in the illusion. This was more real than the real world. And you start to get this. So the whole thing is there, it's, there is no separation in consciousness. So every, we all, because we, 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 again, we're buying into these, these re religious ideas, scientific ideas. The idea of materialism was ra raised by, by Karl Marx, who invented communism in 1840s, in 1840s. That's when he came up with the idea of materialism. Before there was the idea, no idea of materialism, that there's just this material thing. And, and so we have, we, and the biblical thing plays into the same game is God created the heaven and the earth. And then he took, uh, took them and then he breathed in a soul. Well, no. If you look at the new stuff, this the the idea of the simulated universe and the holographic universe, it's all consciousness. So what I would say, and my bottom line would be, there is just consciousness. It's all made out of consciousness. And God did not create the heaven and the earth. God split off these the the particles, the sparks of the divine, and they created the heaven and the earth because it's all made out of consciousness. We're creating the heaven and the earth. It's all created. And so we have to get away, I think, away from the idea that there's this physical with that's infested with con uh, consciousness when, in fact, it's the, the, the whole idea of the dual slit experiment that the material does not appear until there's an observer. It's all being created by consciousness. There is no, or Deepak Chopra says, everything is an activity inside consciousness. And hey, we Grant, always have this. Yeah. I have one thing. So Nathan, Nathan studied divinity. I'd like to if you don't mind, get his take on what, what you just said regarding God's role in, in all this unconsciousness. Well, I mean, if I understand you, Grant, I, I think that, um, and what I've, from what I've read as well, that it, it, God is just a, a word that we're using. It's just a, it's, yeah. it's a label that we've used as, for, in our religious traditions that really kind of describes source, you know, consciousness sure, being yeah. mind at large. I mean, that's essentially God. Um, but I, what I would be curious about is, do you, Think of mind at large as uh, in any way sort of anthropomorphic, or is it just kind of as you as you said earlier, just this foundational state of existence? It doesn't have its own uh, particular agency like you and I do, but it is kind of the wellspring from which all other individuated consciousnesses uh, derive. Yeah, well, that's the thing: is the individual consciousness that that the source, whoever you want to call it, cannot. If, if there's no duality, it doesn't even know who it is itself. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just one thing. Mm -hmm. So once, once you have uh, my, my assistant, Desta Barnaby, uh, it does this channeling stuff. And she had this one thing that she described to me where she saw how it started was you're in this state of complete silence 
no vibration. So when the consciousness, the self, the, the, the higher self, the source, whatever, starts to vibrate, it's the whole idea of the Maya, the illusion. Mm -hmm. The illusion starts and it's all vibration. So the dense, the more it vibrates, you, you get these different levels, but there is no levels. We always, it, well, that's one of the things they said to me in 2017 is, is it one thing or is it separate? And we always want to go to the separation thing because our left brain is running it. And right. the left brain wants uh, details and then once the details inside the details and it wants to break things down let's make lists so we get lists and we say oh there's these levels in in uh, of, of reality and different levels of, of dimension there is there is no levels it's like falling in the water and you drop down to 50 feet and you see this fish and you say what level am i at and the fish says what are you stupid you're in the water i mean you're just in the water and the closer you get to the surface the closer you get to source the more the, the 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 brighter it gets and the more you can see mm -hmm. so we're at the bottom of the ocean in this darkness and when you change your vibration through meditation through 71 contact modalities it went through when you change your vibration you start to you start to elevate through the different vibrations and the more you, you your vibration changes the more you see different things so if you're in a near-death experience you're in a different vibration out of body experience you're in a different vibration you see different things and the closer you get to source the closer you get to the top the more light there is in the water the more you can see but it's all the same thing where we want to change it into these levels and 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 put names on things but that's left brain doing it it's right. all an activity as, as Deepak Chopra says it's all activity inside consciousness when you break it down, it's all us creating this this uh, um, uh, environment. If you if you've interviewed Mark Sims, Mark Sims talks about it, and um, also uh, the other one that I was a big fan of. I've had four big experiences in my life. One was seeing Dr. Michael Newton lecture. Dr. Michael Newton is behind Life Between Lives, mm -hmm. and when I saw that, I couldn't I couldn't think for two days when I saw that. So Michael Newton talks about this idea. That in this soul world, these people are building stuff. And he's going, what are you building? And the guy says, you're making a rock. He said, you're making a rock? And he said, well, yeah, I'm not very I'm not very good at this yet. And this is the thing. They're using consciousness to create. Or they're building these animals to put on different planets. And, and this is this idea. And, and Mark Sims, so when Mark Sims came forward, I don't know if it was experience. He was with Stephen Greer in the CE5, and he has this, this light appears. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always ask these certain questions to people. I say, so what was it doing? Same as mine. So, so what was it doing? It wasn't doing anything. It was, did everybody see it or just you see it? No, it's sort of just, I sort of, I saw it. Maybe somebody else saw it, but I think just, I saw it. And I said, do you think it was for you? Yeah, I think so. And he sees this light and then he goes and does this C5 protocol in the room. And this being Tejbar, Tejabar appears and right. he's in his body for 13 days. And Tejabar gives him this seen flow chart. He gives them exactly the same flowchart as Michael Newton and this whole idea that it starts with very simple things with atoms and, and it just gets more complex and more complex. And we're creating all this stuff, consciousness, like atoms have consciousness, everything has consciousness. Hmm. So the consciousness is at different levels and it, it gets more and more complex and the universe is getting more complex. And at level 15 in Mark Sims uh, flowchart the beings are creating galaxies. And so that's how it works. It's this flow chart and the universe is all information. It's getting more complex and more magnificent, but it's all consciousness. We're creating consciousness. We have to get away from the idea that there's this matter that has consciousness in it. It's consciousness creates matter, not the other way around. The same as the thing with the near-death experience or the out-of-body experience. When you look back and see your brain, you realize your brain and all of the world, the, the the stars, the planets, it's all inside your consciousness. That's the whole the, the whole deal is we make this mm -hmm. assumption that we're inside the brain 
and then the consciousness leaves and floats around. But Buhlman will say, and near-death experience people will say, no, you're not going anywhere. You're going inside yourself. You're just going back in through these different levels. It's all within yourself. And it may just be like a, a, a singularity, a point in space. And you, it's manipulated. It looks like it's big. It looks like there's stars. That's why I say it. I have the one uh, guy whose name is Ron Johnson, who had the, the, the craft flying, where he, they say to him, where would you like to go? And he says, oh, I would like to see the Milky Way. They got him sitting in a chair and he's got his hands on, mm -hmm. on, this, on this chair. And they, they say, wherever you think is where we're going to go. So he says, where would you like to go? He says, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And they say, this is going to be very violent for about one second. And he said it was like heavy, heavy G-forces and this vibration for one second. The window was open. He looked and there was the Milky Way in the distance. That was one second. So if that's true, we got a real problem with time and space. Is there such a thing in time as time and space in the real consciousness world? And if there's isn't, how big is the universe? The universe may just actually be a point in space. Even like like uh, the, the whole thing with John Wheeler again said this whole idea, there's only one electron. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, I mean, it's like this electron moving back and forth. It's mm -hmm. this whole idea. It's impression. It looks like it's flat. It looks like the sun's going around the earth. We've got to realize what's actually going on. And that's where I change from other people, where people want to take a look at, at UFO sightings and gather how many green ones and red ones and all that kind of stuff there is. No, you talk to the experiencers and they, they will actually ask the beings and the beings will tell them what's actually going on. And when you start looking at it, you start seeing these patterns. 37% have had near-death experiences. 80% have had uh, out-of-body experiences. 25% are talked to about reincarnation. You start seeing these patterns of what people are being told being told and that is this stuff that's in the field or people who say they knew everything it's in the field and that is more accurate information than the rational analytical left brain that is sitting here and shuffling around the blocks it's like we we have this idea we got all these puzzle pieces and the left brain is shuffling these puzzle pieces trying to put them together and some of the pieces don't fit but they're still trying to make them fit you've got to figure figure out that we're missing some of the puzzle pieces mm -hmm. and that that if you go into the field and pull that material back. So I'm very interested in people who channel. I'm very interested in people who have out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, psychedelics experiences, UFO experiences, because they're in the field. And that material is going to be much more accurate than the, the, the stuff that's now. Even go back 5,000 years, the idea of Maya, the idea of the illusion that it's all an illusion, it's all consciousness, that's a 5,000-year-old idea that suddenly when we came to simulated universe, everyone, oh yeah, we just invented this simulated universe. It's all like a video game. And <laughs> this, thing out. this is a 5,000-year-old idea. Those people had it. They meditated to get in the field 5,000 years ago. And, and they, they pulled that material. And that's the thing is when you start looking at the material in the field, I think it's going to be more accurate than trying to shuffle these pieces around and not look at the 5% that Gary Nolan talked about. It's 5% of the puzzle pieces that don't fit that tell you something is wrong. You've got something figured out and it, it's not accurate. Mm -hmm. This is uh man, this, this conversation is something that really makes all the synapses in your brain fire when we start talking about the size of the universe we start thinking of, i know we're about to go to flares kevin and his synapses are firing and oh and the God. uh you know like the voyager that went to mars like what what would happen if we just let that that craft you know continue on like what does it end up seeing because right. uh it is you know how big is the universe but kevin i'm sure you can answer all these questions but go ahead and ask grant oh. the question that you have Oh, wow, man so yeah i'm glad that we're talking about uh flow state and phenomenon because i'm an artist I've experienced flow state, um, wow. writing poetry, writing fiction. Um, I'm a musician also. I've experienced um, with and without people, other people playing music like a band. I've experienced flow state. 
Also, I'm a martial artist. I've experienced it uh, during a sparring session. Um, I also teach kids diagnosed on, with autism spectrum disorder, and I have experienced it while teaching these groups of kids, this flow state. So um, the flow state, I, I've been trying to come up with a operational definition for it. So what I've got is, it's for me, it's basically, it's a physical manifestation of unity between fluency of a skill and the self expressed over time. That's how I, I seem to notice it. So um, how do you think that art connects our consciousness to the phenomenon as a whole? Like, do you think it's perhaps like maybe a frequency like you're saying? Um, do you okay, think I'll, I'll, simply... give you my, I'll give you my, my, my impression. I, I basically, I wrote a book okay. called Tuned in the Paranormal World of Music. I wrote a whole book on musicians right. and where they get their songs right. from and the, the download mm -hmm. songs and the spontaneous songs. And, and they're all very right brain creative people. And that's what they said to jo Roger Lear, who did the 17 alien implants in Los Angeles, said, what's common between all experiencers? He said, they're all right brain creative people. And there's tons of them in Hollywood. And, and all implants are on the left side of the body. That's what he said. He had 250 implants that looked at. All implants are on the left side of the body. The left side of the body is run by the right brain, the right, the left, vice versa. So the right, right brain runs the left side of the body and the left brain runs the right side of the body. So if all implants are on the left side of the body, they ain't interested in your left brain. They're operating on your right brain, which is the female creative brain. We have the male brain that's destroying the world here. And then you have this idea of the female brain. The, the, so you see musicians, it's all it, in art. It's all, it's all visual. It's all right brain. So that's what you see in psychedelics. That's what you see in dreams. That's what you see in all these sort of things. You're seeing, you're not, they don't come to you and say, uh, here's a lecture. And they stand up and give you a lecture, a left brain <laughs> lecture. They use images. That's what Jim Semivan said. You look at Jim Semivan, the CIA guy who had the beings in his room. What does he say? They talk in symbols. Symbols is right brain. It's visual. And so musicians <laughs> and artists, you see a lot of them are experiencers because they, they have this right brain. They're able to shut down the left brain. It, the rational analytical people don't have the experiences because they're so wrapped up in ego and their right, their left brain. They go, it's like, I don't need a briefing. Don't tell me what's going on. I'll tell you exactly. And they can, they, they, they use logic. I can stand on my feet and argue with anybody. I don't need to read the book. I can argue with you. But it's the it's the the idea that art definitely we went through. We did a bunch of uh, podcasts with artists. And how many of them were experiences and how, how do you get to your art and where do your songs come from? And you'll ask people like this, yeah. how long did it take that song to come blowing in the wind? Neil, Neil Young. And, um, um, the answer, my friend is blowing in the wind. That yeah, one? What, yeah. What's his, what's his name? I can't remember what artist. Someone's got to Google it. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. So they asked yeah! Bob Dylan, they asked Bob Dylan on 60 there minutes. Is. They said, so where, you got, you did that in 10 minutes. He went, yeah. So where'd it come from? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that uh, wellspring of creativity. And you see this over and over. Musicians don't. Yeah, uh, um, Michael Jackson said he was embarrassed to put his name on the songs because he said, I didn't write them. He said, I, they definitely yeah. just came to me. And that's the whole thing. And that is the ability mm -hmm. to shut down. So you've got to, you got to shut down the left brain. Musicians can do it. It's shut down that rational analytical thing that's creating the noise. And once you get rid of the noise with this meditation or however you're doing it and you get into that flow state, the left brain is shut down. The flow state is on and the stuff comes, starts coming in, but it's coming in through images. It's coming in sort of intuitively and, and very vague. And you, you've got to sort of interpret it and stuff like that. So that's my interpretation. I think artists are, are very important. That's where like even uh, 
Roger Lear said, I mean, all right brain created people. That was his interpretation of all experiencers who have been abducted. So it's not like you're on the wrong street corner at the wrong time. It's uh, this whole idea that that you're in the right mind state that they can they can talk to you. If, if, if your left brain is going, they just can't talk to you because your, your, your left brain is making too much noise. They can't get the signal to you. Everybody can get the signal. It's the ability to get in that state. I feel like I'm missing half of each. Like I only have half of a left and half of a right because I'm not that analytical. I'm not that creative. I don't, I don't know if you have anybody that can help me out. But I, I, Well, the question, the question to that is who's the I that's talking? Mm. Yeah, you often often get that. Like Jim Semivan came up and said, "Oh, I don't, I, you know, I they made me very angry." And I was like, "Well, I and or people say I get very upset." Well, who's upset? Is it your ego's upset or is it your higher self that's upset? It's always Ooh, the ego. Point. It's the yeah. ego's running the show. Like yeah, the ego's trying true. to figure this out. You know, I've got this figured out, and 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 we always have to stay. You know, the, the idea that the, all spiritual literature has one component to it, it says remember who you actually are. That's what it's all about. Nobody ever thinks, why did I come in the world? And where am I going to go when I leave the world? And what am I doing here? That's never a consideration by anybody. That is the number one thing we should be working on is what the hell are we doing here? Like, what is going on here? And and that's the idea as I, the way I describe it, it's described by many traditions, spiritual traditions. The way I describe it is, remember, you are not the actor on the stage. You are playing an actor on a stage. Big difference. You're the person behind the stage, and you're you're you, you're a spiritual being having a physical uh, incarnation. And when you leave, it's like Whitley Strieber's wife. And I talked to Whitley about this. Uh, Whitley's wife comes back after she, uh, she dies, and she says, uh, "Whitley, I'd like to tell you, I am no longer Anne, but I'll always be Anne to you." Which means I've wow. gone on. I'm I'm somebody else now. I've gone on, but I'll always be on to you because you and I played that role on stage. It's like when my father died, two days before my father died, his father came to see him. And I said, Okay, so if his father had lived a thousand lives, why does he come as my grandfather? Because if he came as anybody else, my father wouldn't know who the hell he was. Right. We come in and we play whatever whatever role we want to play, or as there's a guy by the name of Yossi, uh, UC Ronan who's an experiencer, wrote a book called One, which is the main message that the beings are trying to get across, this oneness message. And, and he, the beings were in, they were green beings that were in the room. And the way they described it, when we come into your world, we have to take on a body. We can take on whatever body we want. We don't need it, but we have to take it on to come into the physical world. But we, can, we, can, we don't need it in our world. You can do the same thing. You just don't know it. And that's mm-hmm. the whole idea is that, so you start looking at the beings where I, I'll say all beings are different. People say grays. And when I put them all together, you start putting them on a flow chart and you start looking, they're all different. They're all look different. And it's the whole idea is, does John Mack brought this up. Does the being that you see indicate who you are? If you're, if you're mm-hmm. in fear, you see a gray. If you're, uh, you've got a sexual thing or very high energy, you're going to see a reptilian. And this whole idea, uh, what you see may be interpreted by, uh, your, 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 they know what you want to see. They're showing you what they're showing you what they think you want to see. Or we're seeing but the whole, the idea is there's only one consciousness. We're behind this whole thing. There's no them. There's, there's just us. We're creating this whole thing. We're interacting with other sparks of divine, but we're still creating this. So we interpret based upon our feelings as to what they, what, what they're going to look like. 
and we, we build a world. It's it's the it's like no two dreams are the same. No two abduction experiences are the same. I would even say that no two UFOs are the same. That if you start looking at them, like why do UFOs have lights on them? It's like you know they 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 want us to see them, and people are interpreting it differently based upon how they see things because we're the ones that are creating the thing. We always want to say there's something out there. The Einstein thing. I want to believe the moon is behind me when I'm not looking. And it's the whole idea. Is the moon actually behind you? Or are we creating this? Is this collective reality? Are we making this correct collective thing that we are creating everything? This is this whole idea. God did not create the heaven and the earth or this higher source or whatever you want to call it. That we it's all consciousness. It's all being created by the consciousness in the universe. And it's getting more complex. But there is no separate consciousness. We have this idea of AI that you can take AI and you can take the consciousness out and put it into something. But it's all going to, it's all consciousness. Everything we were starting to learn, everything has consciousness in it. And when you talk to people who did uh, uh, like Sting, the musician, when he, when he was doing the ayahuasca in, in Peru uh, or Brazil, wherever he was, he said, when they gave him the one, they said, which one of you would be Sting? And he goes, uh, that's me. Oh, we got a special one for you. And they give him this huge thing of ayahuasca. <laughs> and he's absolutely like totally blown away. I mean, he's just like, he said, he went to the guy and begged him to, to get rid of him and get, help me out of this thing. And he said, and, and I suddenly realized everything was alive and conscious. And I looked at a little plant coming out of the ground and I said, that's my brother. It's this concept that it's all consciousness, all created out of consciousness. And that's what people will say when, when they have these experiences, they suddenly realize everything is alive and conscious. And, and it's all consciousness. So when you have the craft, you have the AI. Yes, the craft is conscious. Everybody that's flown the craft will tell you the craft is conscious. It's alive. And when you put your hand on a panel or on a ball or wherever they get you to put your hand and you become one with the craft, everybody says the same thing. The 747 airline pilot, he said, I had the dream twice. And he said, and then Joe Burks told me, he said, you know, I don't think it's a dream. Tell me the tell me the story. And he said, I had that dream last year. And here's the 747-400 United Airlines pilot describing this thing that that he became one of the craft he said it was like it was totally he was totally linked in he became the craft and whatever he thought is what the craft did and that's this whole idea that people will say the the being will say to you okay where do you want to go and they'll say um i want to go somewhere and they say okay you imagine it you have to imagine it get it in your mind and they say as soon as they get it in their mind they are there instantaneously wherever it is in the universe and that's this whole idea when you start if that stories are true the idea that we have of how the universe works is totally messed up. It is we're missing the boat. It may be this totally different thing that it's the the physical thing. When you break down all the physical uh, stuff, it breaks down into smaller and smaller components. It ends up being energy. It ends up being vibration. And and even Niels Bohr said um, back in a hundred years ago, he said there is no. And this is the guy who won the Nobel Prize for the atom. He said there is no matter as such. We're still in this belief that there is this physical thing and it's solid and it's it doesn't have any consciousness in it. And these are all ideas that I say are end are going to end up being totally wrong. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Deb, I know you had a question. I wanted to make sure you had a chance to ask it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I've said it a couple of times trying to try to get it all. But but um, one thing I've noticed, though, is that there seems to be a, an aspect that's like maybe shared consciousness, um, because some of my experiences in meditation, other people have experienced as well. And and we were actually touching on this a little bit before the show. One of the things that I've experienced in meditation was being shown how to fly the craft. It was not with controls. It was with my mind. And it was, you know, like 
the craft is alive it becomes a part of you like an extension and um i guess my question is why do you think it is that we're having these shared um commonalities with our experiences um it well, it's a teaching process it, it's all um developing and um learning and making more making the universe more complex it's all it's all going to be uh, the the whole concept how do you, why are we here i mean we're here to learn certain things to experience certain things even just uh, a lot of the um uh people whether it's the guides uh, called the guides uh, um margie gets uh the contact she's got with the beings when i went to the beings in great britain i said to the beings um they want an interview so and they're actually going to do a documentary that i'm going to do an interview with these two women that are uh, contact these beings and i asked the beings i said uh are are you extraterrestrials and i said oh if you want us to be extraterrestrials we could do that yeah we we could actually take you to our planet if you want but no we've always been here and that's this whole idea is like is there actually any anything out there or is it all within ourselves so you have this um, this this idea that we're all there, uh, but in the end, it it's the sparks of the divine that are broken off, and we work in pairs. If you follow Dr. Michael Newton, that we pair up in the old idea that we may have ha- had an agreement before we were born that all of us are going to get together and do the show. Oh, yeah, we're, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and everybody's got their little thing they're supposed to do, and we're gathering together, but we're all players on a stage. We're all these actors on the stage. And we got to keep remembering that, that when it's all over, I mean, you, you, if you take this too seriously, the world and actually believe the ego, who am I, you know, the I, 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 and, and then you get off stage, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, the people in your soul group are going to say, Oh, uh, DJ, man, you, you really bought into that thing, man. You really thought you were a DJ. I mean, <laughs> you, you get the Academy Award, man. You just, you got, you got, you played it so well. You actually believed it. And we all believe it. We actually believe that we are. And then once you die, you suddenly realize like, oh, oh, I, I, you know, I'm going on to a different life. And that was just an act. That was just a play that we did, but it was to learn things. It was to experience things, to uh, get it more complex. And I think the one, one thing I like to point out, because my, my, my associate uh, Desta and I had an experience with, she had this long channeling thing where she had this, uh, they basically told her it's all pre-planned just live your life i mean you, you planned it it's all like like uh like strings or whatever and she was describing this and she was really angry because it sort of disagreed with everything and she can actually have this contact back and forth and she's she's in this altered state and she's typing and and she's in this altered state and she's sort of fighting with them and then they start stop refusing to an- stop answering questions and stuff and she was really upset about this and and it was this whole idea that it's all planned but i think it's planned be- between births between lives it's not like uh, an overall plan that when you come in you plan to get together with certain people and do certain things and you may veer off the path or stuff but but it's basically this thing and uh but she was basically and and the being said the same thing just enjoy it because it's all it's you you planned this whole thing i mean you came in to do this and that's what we always forget we forget who we are we came into the world to do something and we sort of think that we're we're individuals and we're here we're trying to rape pillage kill and steal and in the end uh we've we've come in to do something so we we don't really have to worry about what anybody else is doing uh whether it's right or wrong because in the end i've never converted anybody in ufology i've never convinced anybody of anything and uh, i read stanton friedman's files he spent 61 years arguing with the top skeptics he never convinced anybody people are on their own little path and so it, it comes down to why did i come into the world uh what am i supposed to be doing and am i doing it 
Because when I when you leave, according to Michael Newton, they only ask you one question. When you go in front of this this uh, panel of life review with three to twelve people with where these medals around their chest or whatever, they only ask you one question. So how to work out? And and you can't say, uh, well, you know, if we're in for Hillary Clinton and my mother-in-law and uh, <laughs> and you know all this sort of stuff, I, I would have done something. And and they go, no, 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 no. Time out, time out. This is about you. What you agreed to do this to go into the world and do this? Did you? How did it work out? And there is no, you know, damning or whatever. It's like, oh, I, you know, I, I was going to do it. And I forgot or, you know, I got scared or whatever. And that's, I think what it all comes down to is, is, is remembering who we are, that we are energy beings. It's 55% of all people talk about uh, energy beings. And I'm actually going to interview um, a, a woman who's an oceanographer. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, um, uh, Ingrid uh, Honkala. Who's uh, she worked for NASA and she worked for uh, the Navy. She's been in 75 different countries. She's got a PhD and she had a near experience at three years old. And you start looking at that and you see exactly the same thing. She's she said, I was I was out of my body. She was drowned in a pool in the back in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And she's there. And she said she suddenly she was above the maid. And she's just, oh, there's there's Maria. And then she, boom, she's above her mother. And she says, oh, there's mom. And as soon as she said that, her mother realized something was going wrong. She goes running back to the house, 10 minute run back to the house. And then she goes, she sees this dog and she goes, oh, a dog. And she loves dogs. She said instantaneously she was with the dog. And then she looked at the park and she goes, oh, look at the park. And she was instantaneously at the park. And then she saw a tree and she said, I was instantaneously at the tree. You gotta remember, this is a PhD in oceanography. And she's describing exactly what the people on board the ship are saying. You think of something, it's instantaneously you are actually there. The same as out-of-body experience people will describe exactly what people on board the ship will describe. 360-degree vision. You never hear about that. And you hear it. And when I saw that, I went, they're talking the same thing. This is all got to be linked. It's all got to be the same thing. Or, for example, Ron Johnson. So Ron Johnson, and you've got to interview this guy if you've ever never interviewed him. Ron Johnson um, had the being, his, na- his being's name was Elby. And LB takes him to the spirit world three times. In the third time, second time, he's first time it's sort of a um, um, an Evan Alexander thing. It's sort of he's in the mud. He can't, you know, it's just sort of darkness or whatever. The second mm-hmm. time he's in the spirit world with his mother, but he can't see his mother. The third time he's with his mother. She's, he's actually walking around the spirit world. And he's a, a Latter-day Saint guy. And he said, she takes me to this building. It looks like a temple in Nephi, Utah. And and he's, she said, Ron, when you come, you're going to get a room in, in this building. And, and he, he says, I go into the building and he says, you know what? It was like 10 to a hundred times the size in the building as it was outside the building. I said, Hey, that's exactly what Chris Bledsoe said about being inside the craft. That's exactly <laughs> what Hal Putoff talks about. That's exactly what Ron, Terry Lovelace said. Terry Lovelace said it was an ordinary side craft. He went inside. It was the size of a football stadium inside. That's exactly the same story. He's in the spirit world. That guy's in a UFO. And you start wondering, this has all got to be the same thing. They're in this same sort of thing where this time and space and everything is, is bizarre where you're creating this, this sort of world that you're in. And that's where I see the, these crossovers that when you start looking at the data between out-of-body experience, near-death experience, uh, UFO abduction, you start seeing these parallels that are not coincidence. There's no way they're coincidence. You, you see this um, sort of stuff or the, the idea where 80% of all um you know, people who have um, uh, been abducted say they've had out-of-body experiences. And then I remember I asked Yvonne Smith one time, how many how many people who are her abductee people have had paranormal experiences happen? She starts laughing. She goes like, 
99%. It's like, <laughs> like totally common. And, and we want to change it because our, our ego is, is, is want to be the center of attention. So it's got to be the fear. So we turn it into fear. So what do we do? We say, Oh, the hitchhiker, oh, the skinwalker ranch, it followed these people home and stuff. And it's like Ron Johnson, Ron Johnson tells the story. It's like, and we all knew this. Everybody in paranormal knows this hitchhiker happens all across the paranormal phenomena. It's not just UFOs. Mm -hmm. So Ron Johnson has this thing where he says, I go to this graveyard and to this vault in this graveyard. And I set up the camera outside the vault and I go bang on the vault. And I say, come on, take a picture. And he says, this thing comes out of the vault <laughs> and he gets, and he gets it on film. The thing comes out of the vault. He said, it took him five years to get rid of the thing. Thing followed him around to three different houses for five years. That's skinwalker. That's the, the whole, uh, you know, uh, hitchhiker thing. It's a, it's a phenomenon. It's part of the UFO phenomenon. It's part of all different paranormal phenomena. And we want to turn it into the evil thing, the evil thing. And you do influence. So I'll say that if you go into Skinwalker Ranch, because Bob Bigelow talked about Skinwalker Ranch and he said, there really was no injuries. There was really nothing, but we respected the phenomenon. But when you had the special forces guys who were armed, who were going to try to capture the thing they go in there those are the guys that went back and had that real brutal stuff with the with the hitchhiker stuff where the kid has the orbs bombarding him in the room and stuff like that and you you manifest what happens around you and uh so the 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 even the guy that owns skinwalker ranch now says he calls it a reflective phenomena and george knapp said those that were the most aggressive to the phenomena had the worst experiences and and right. and 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 the guy who owns skinwalker ranch now says there's a reflective phenomena so when he goes on the ranch when they're coming in with the helicopter he says they pray they know there's a reflective aspect that you go in there with a bad attitude get ready and so that's this whole thing we're forgetting about is that we are part of the phenomena that we're manifesting we want to always separate it we say there's evil aliens out there and they're they're picking on us and uh you know it's the idea is we, it's all goes to higher self. It's all ourselves in this whole thing. And we keep wanting to separate ourselves, put ourselves as left brain victims. And there's this thing that's influencing us. And, 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 and anybody that w I think knows the phenomena knows that if you protect yourself, if you go in with the right attitude, you don't have any problems with hitchhikers. You don't have any of this, this kind of stuff. The whole phenomena changes. You are part of the phenomena. Yeah. Um, uh, Anjali says that uh, in her experience that there was they told her there was a council. There were some that were very friendly toward us and uh, paternal in, in some yep. way. Some were indifferent to us and some were negative toward us. And so I don't know. I mean, I, okay. I haven't had any of these encounters, but yeah. I, I, I can comment that that is one of the things, again, that comes down to is that is that an influence of ego going in there because the one thing, the one channeler I'd say is one of the best channelers I've seen is Paul Selleck, who's channeled 10 books and there are no changes in the books. They, they don't change any of the words. It's exactly. And, and you know, channeling from, and I would say everybody's channeling like you and I, I always say to people like, where, where do you think the words are coming from? They're coming out of your mouth. Yeah, do you think you actually think there's neurons running around? And I could talk very, very fast. Do you, do you think there's neurons that are running around and saying, okay, what word are we going to put in the sentence next? Okay, let's put this word in. And then somebody's doing the grammar and somebody's moving the hands. And it's like, mm -hmm. come on, give your head a shake. This is channeling. So right. Paul Selleck channels and the way he describes it, I think, is uh, this whole oneness thing. Is it is it separation? Is there separation? Is there good and bad and stuff like that? In a reincarnation world, it's all experience. The things that happen to you, you plan. If you have a near-death experience, or if you have if you have psychic says to you, you're going to have an accident tomorrow, and you have an accident tomorrow, is that actually random, or was that planned? And we and it's the whole idea with near-death experiences, 
with the abduction experience, what's the chances that 37% of all abductees have near-death experiences? Do you think that's by chance or do you think that's they actually plan to have a near-death experience to learn something or they, they, they um, uh, decided to be abducted to learn something and that it's experience. It's all experience and you learn mostly from the from the bad stuff. You don't learn from the good stuff. So Paul Selleck, the way Paul Selleck describes this is oneness principle, which I adhere to. And that he says, it's all divine. It all comes from source. And when you decide that I am divine and this is not divine. When you take something and put it into darkness, that something that you take will take you into the darkness with it. Yeah. If, if you claim that you are divine and this or that is not divine, that is the shadow pretending to be the light. It's all divine. What you damn damns you back. What you bless blesses you in return. And that's this whole idea. How can you separate something from the divine? It's all divine. It's all there for a reason. It's all there for, for a learning purpose. And whatever the, the bad thing that happens, we realize that we we learn from this. It's all experience. That you, you we, If you've died a thousand times, if reincarnation is back and you've died a thousand times, you plan to die a thousand times. And it ain't going to be pretty. Usually it's not pretty when you die. So you plan to do this and you plan to come in, go in early or come out later, whatever it is. And we, we always want to do this separation thing that we are sort of a victim to outside forces that God's picking on us. And, and uh, we're unfortunate, uh, you know, and it's, the referee is uh, almost like a game. We've turned it into like a football game. The, the, the ends justifies the means. It's all about winning and uh, the refs against us and all this kind of stuff. And we, our ego feels good when we can overcome and stuff like that. But I, I would say the reincarnation world, which is what they told me, if it's one world, that's one, that's one world and it has certain rules, but if it's reincarnation and it's true, if it's reincarnation, then it's all learning. It's all, we're going to plan to have failures and we're going to have plan to have accidents to learn things. And, and, and a lot of the people, even the abduction experience, people will say, Oh, the abduction experience is terrible. I mean, I I'm a victim. That's what Jim Semivan said. I, I was really angry. I didn't ask to have this happen. Well, you don't think you asked to have it happen, mm -hmm. but if, if do you, do you remember what ha had you on your third, third birthday party, what you had for dinner? I mean, you don't remember any of that. I, you... Oh no, actually I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I thought I did. Sorry, <laughs> no. Um, so, so you have this, this idea that, that, that we, we, we turned it into sort of a, a victim thing and you have two people with the same experiences. So Jim Semivan has experience with the beings are in the room with his wife and he's angry about it. He feels that he didn't agree to this. And I said, well, do you think Chris Bledsoe consciously agreed to what he went through? Chris mm. Bledsoe sat there for nine months and basically prayed to God to take him out of the world. He couldn't believe it. His whole world had come apart. He was not allowed to talk to his kids. His, he was on the verge of divorce. He got locked up in a, a crazy house to, to see if he was insane. And now suddenly he has the regression where suddenly they, he, he gets asked in the regression when did you first meet them and he says they were with me before i was born and 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 o'connell o'connor the guy who was john max associate at harvard who was doing the regression said what do you mean where you were what do you mean before you were born where you were you with them in your last lifetime and he said yes and that's the whole thing if that's true if john if that regression is true and a lot of experiences will say this they'll say i agreed to this or i asked mary rodwell i said mary this whole soul contract thing. What do you think about the soul contract thing? That, that experiencers agree to play this role. They're coming in to raise consciousness. Or uh, Dolores Cannon, the three waves. We've all volunteered to come in. The atomic bomb goes off and we all volunteer to come in to raise consciousness to save the earth. And we're all volunteers on this whole thing. What do you think about that? And Mary Rodwell says, like 100% will agree. 
And I asked Kathy Martin, I said, Kathy, what do you think about the soul contract thing? And Kathy said, I was wondering about it too. She, she said, I, you know what I did? I actually had myself regressed and I heard the words come out of my mouth. I agreed to this. That is the whole thing about taking personal responsibility, whether it's right or wrong that you agreed to all these things in life, you take personal responsibility because as long as you see yourself as a victim, you are not going to grow. You're just going to feel sorry for yourself and you're just going to recycle and recycle and, and take it out on other people and blame other people. And this is whole idea. If it, and you get, I think, 25% of all experiences say they remember being in their past lifetime. John Mack has one. When did you first meet the guy? Oh, he was with me in my last lifetime. If the being was with him in his last lifetime, that is a different world. Or when you have the people on board the, the craft, and I'm not 100% sure on this yet. Everybody that goes on the craft will tell the story. Like, for example, the 747 airline pilot, the, the Air Force guy, they both say the same thing. They're on the craft and there's somebody behind them. They don't know if it's human beings or, or or aliens. They don't know what it is. And the voice, like the, the 747, or the, the I'll give you the, the Air Force guy. So the Air Force guy, he says, they say to him, okay, go ahead and do it. He just hears this voice behind him. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go to Michael Newton and you look at the life review, the soul guide is always behind the person on the left side, always. And that's the thing. So when he says that, I'm going, I wonder if that's his soul guide. He doesn't know what it is. And he said, and he says, go ahead and do it. And the, and the, and this David guy says, I don't know what to do. And he says, you know what to do. Just do it. So he goes, there's this panel on the wall and this uh, air force colonel puts his hand on the panel. And he mm -hmm. said, suddenly he says, boom, it's like, I'm flying the craft. And he said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I'm flying the craft and it's doing whatever I wanted to do. And so he said, I take one hand off the panel and he's waiting for it to stall and it doesn't stall. And then, <laughs> and then he's, and then he takes the other hand off the panel, but it's six inches above because he wants to slam his hand back down if the, if the craft stalls. And then he's got his both hands off the panel and he's flying the craft and he's going, this is the most, most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. And he's flying this thing. But that's the whole thing is this whole idea that, that it may be soul contract. You start seeing these things and you wonder, is the person interpreting, he, he's making a vision of what it is, but it may be soul guy. Cause one of the, I had a guy, who a uh, submarine guy, I haven't talked to him yet, but a, a guy, US, Air, uh, US Navy submarine guy said, I had this, that went through this whole thing and I was told to see my spirit guide and I saw a gray alien. And I go, wow, that's that's pretty cool. That's this whole idea is what's actually going on. It do is it actually are we building this world to learn a lesson that they're taking us on this this craft thing and the craft really may not exist except in our mind? Because one guy actually told me he said um, he said I actually they said get your own craft. So he said in my mind I built a craft, a conscious craft, and I made it a certain size, and I was traveling to different galaxies. And you got to remember these are stories that that uh, Jacques Vallée will call absurd. These are not stories. If you want to make up a story and, and try to fool me with it, you're not going to bring up, I flew the craft with my mind. I mean, that, that people are going to buy that. Or I knew everything in the universe. Because I would ask people, I'd say, are you knew everything in the universe? Are you sure? Yeah. And I said, well, how do you know there wasn't something number six, seven, eight on the far side of the universe they forgot to tell you about? And the people will say exactly what I said in my flow state. I'm not sure. I just know. It's like the flow state comes with absolute certainty. You know, you, nobody has to tell you. Nobody's going to, you're not going to argue with anybody. I know this is, this is accurate information. And so that's the, the, the whole idea is this, our interaction with the thing and the fact that it all is, as one quantum physicist, it's all Uli stuff. It's all consciousness. The, the basic bottom line that we're creating the stuff out of consciousness. It's all dreamscape or even the people say. Um, but it is physical. 
right? I, I don't think I was abducted. They say, I, I don't think it was abducted. I think, I think it was, they just, the aliens come to me in my dreams. Bashar, if you look at the Chandler Bashar, Bashar says, we come to you in your dreams because now you're in our world. It is physical though. I mean, if you can paint some of these things on radar, it's physical. It, it, it comes into the physical world. That's what they right. said to, okay. to Yossi Ronan. When we come into your physical world, we take on. So they lower their vibration. That's like I did the whole book on, on the, the portals, the, the Zendras, if you follow the Mission Rama stuff at Mount Shasta. So I go there and I interview the people that were in these, uh, these, uh, these, um, these Zendra things. And the way they describe it is that the beings come in. They lower their vibration and what the, the Mission Rama people and Mission Rama. Is, so you're into the thing about, oh, there's these these aliens that are not good guys. There's these good guys and bad no, guys. I, no, no, I'm no, open I'm, to the possibility. of. No, no, I'm, I'm saying this is a, this is a, a, an idea. I'm just saying you. This is an idea out there that's very common, that there's these good. And so what, what, what you get with Mission Rama is I say I defy. Anybody, Mission Rama, there's 25,000 of these people around the world. It started in 1974. A lot of them are, um, you know, uh, Latino people, and they are able to open these Zendras, these portal things. And these beings appear in the portal, or you walk into the portal, and you walk in into this Zendra, and the 747 airline guy was actually in one of these portals. He describes that whole story, being in the in this in this Zendra. You walk through, and as soon as you walk into the into the Zendra, you're on another planet, just like walking through a doorway. Wow. And 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 what they say is they lower their vibration. So they're every, everything is vibration. There's all consciousness and everybody's at vibration. So the beings are here. Everything's here around us. If there's no time and space, it's all here. So their vibration, what we do in, in psychedelics, anybody knows there's a psychedelics, you know when it's going to start. The vibration starts. Your vibration is changing. You feel your body vibrating. Yeah. And boom, you're suddenly in, in a different environment. Kev's like, as- I, I've been on some psychedelics, baby. I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> all right, Grant, we have about 15 minutes left. Well, Kev, we have some experiences we want to share with you and get your take on. Kevin yeah. has one. I have one that I don't even think Nathan's heard this one yet Ooh. but i did pose it to deb yesterday and she forewarned me so uh, i'll see what you guys think but go ahead kev <laughs> all right so you, as i said earlier you know i teach kids on the spectrum so i've got 14 years experience teaching kids with autism yeah so what i've done i started i've started documenting some of the strange phenomenon that i've seen over the years some of the wow. stuff that cannot be explained and i wanted to to read one of those to you Okay. So one of the things we teach is a tacting lesson. It's commenting on the environment. You know, we teach them to respond to what do you see? What is it? So um, the particular student, he liked to smile and hum while looking up. So uh, one lesson, once the lesson progressed to a natural setting, it was during lunch, I asked him, you know, he's looking, I ask him, what do you see up there? And he points to something I can't see, you know. Yeah. He just points up and he says, white balls, right? Which I found very interesting. So, um, and he said it while giggling. So over the years, you know, he had a few other responses. It was like, he'd say madness or eventually it was friends. And we'd just start saying, Hey, during lunchtime, are your friends back? And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, my friends, white balls. So that's just one of the phenomenons that I'm, I'm recording. I'm, I'm documenting. What, What do you think about that? Well, I, in my contact modalities, I do a whole chapter on, um, that very phenomena. Um, especially when you talk of savants. So basically yes. what you see is a lot of left brain damage. For example, the, the, the one I always show is I say, if you don't think there's material out there that people are seeing that they're able to tap into, watch this. And the guy's name is, and I'm going to forget his name. Um, he's out in New York city. He's now in close to 80. Uh, George Finn is the guy's name. He's on 60 minutes. If you look it up on 60 minutes, you'll see this thing. Oh. So they say to him, okay, uh, George, uh, what's two plus three? 
And he goes, uh, would that be uh, six? And the guy goes, uh, what's uh, five times seven? Uh, would that be uh, 50? And then he goes, okay, so what day is uh, July the 11th, uh, 2047? Yeah. And he goes, oh, that would be a Tuesday. And he's right yes. 100% of the time. And, and so the thing is, so left brain is simple math. He cannot do simple math. So he's not calculating. He's this calendar calculating thing. And you see this with savants and with autistic uh, kids is they're, they're, they're in this different world. It, it, the brain has shut, part of the brain is shut down. Left brain is shut down. It's cut off the, the, the noise. They're able to pick it up. It's all being picked up. And they're just in this different frequency, especially the left brain damage. A lot of uh, autistic is is this left brain damage thing, or uh, even with head injuries, you see these kind of things. So I say that's one of the most important things you're you're studying. Is I tried to get Gaia actually to do a show on savants, on uh, guys who you know play the piano, have never played piano before, have seven thousand songs, and and can do mathematics or uh, you know all this the bizarre things they can do, and yeah, and they, no they want to do it because they didn't have a budget to travel. They wanted someone to stand in a studio and just talk about it. And I said, that is the most bizarre show you could ever run is these people, autistic and, 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 and savant people, the stuff that they, they exhibit. There's no way you can explain it with the present idea we have of the universe. Extremely important mm -hmm. stuff you're doing there. Thank you. Thank, you uh, thank you very much for answering that. Nathan, you had something. Yeah. So Grant, um, if I could get your thoughts on this. So yeah, you're obviously familiar with the subject, uh, you know, very intimately, uh, but the, the way in which it's talked about in kind of mainstream stream circles right now is very much still from the nuts and bolts component. Everything that you've articulated on the show, I think everyone on our show is in pretty much agreement with this is the direction that it needs to go. But how do you see this really playing out from a kind of a more public uh, uh, perspective? You know, how do you see the world being able to transition to this kind of understanding? Because I'm of the a conclusion that if if the if the disclosure were so simple that it was just ETs from some other star system, we would have already had that story by now. But but I'm I'm more in agreement with what you are describing that the world that we know and the way in which we know it is different than what we all assume. That's a much harder thing, I think, to get the public on board with. So what what does that process look like? How do you think it really will unfold? to where we can get to this place and have this kind of conversation in a broader sense. I, I think that's where the idea of trying to convert people, uh, I don't think it's going to work, is that we want to try to convince everybody and we're rem forgetting that it's it's unlimited universe, it's endless. We can take forever to figure this thing out. And that things will flip very, very quickly. Mm. Uh, when I had my consciousness experience in 2012, I always make the joke, I could not have spelled consciousness and I couldn't have cared less. <laughs> and a lot of people were, are still on that thing. There are people in the UFO community who use the word consciousness, don't even know what they're talking about. They know it's a buzzword now. It, you could not talk about consciousness in 2012. And, and you could not in academia 20 years ago, you could not. You would be thrown out if you talked about consciousness. So it, it will eventually change. And I think it's changing very fast in terms of the Matrix movie. It's all happening indirectly. It's happening through the, especially the idea of the simulated universe. If you talk to young kids today mm -hmm. and you say to them, do you believe there's a, it's a video game? It's just, and they go, well, of course it is. I mean, it's a completely different world. It's almost like Max Planck said, uh, a, a new idea does not come in by convincing the opponent he's wrong. Mm -hmm. It comes in 
by those people dying and a new generation is not offended with the idea. So, and it will shift very fast. I remember I, you talk about disclosure. I remember I, I was doing the X conferences with, well, Steve Bass is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. So Steve Bassett, he brought me in and he, and he had a panel at the end. He said, so when do you think disclosure is going to come? And, you know, he's always in there. We need this right now. We need the government president to say there's ETs and stuff. And these people are going six months, 12 months. And it comes to me and it's a whole crowd there. And I said, 2042. And he looked at me like, how did you dare do this to me in front of all these people? And I never, because I, I I'd done it so many years. I said, there's no way there's ever going to be disclosure. Not a chance. But what happens is Jim Semivan, if you know the story, it's mm-hmm. in my last podcast. Jim Semivan tells the story that he has this thing and he's all upset about this abduction experience or whatever. And I say, get this straight. If he had not been abducted, there would be no disclosure today because it was Jim Semivan. I was told in 2016, Jim Semivan from the CIA was the guy that was behind it, behind the New York Times article. He was the mover and shaker, and he would not have done it if he had, had the UFO experience. He would be like the 99% of people in the public who would say, who cares about UFOs? I'm trying to film, feed my family. I don't care. Nobody cares. There's very few of us who care. And so what happens is Jim Semivan says, he said on an interview, he said, I went to high level officials in the government and he said, we're going to force this thing out. You guys can't get it out and I'm going to, I'm going to get it out. And that's what he did. And it was because he was abducted with this very bad experience that he's still upset about that. He went out and he did this. And what happened in 2017, they had the New York times article came out and that was Jim Semivan. That was uh, how put off and all these guys that pushed all this sort of Tom DeLong. They pushed all this New York times did the article. And in one day, it was boom. It's like you ask everybody because Stephen Greer and I used, I did an article called 64 reasons they decided not to tell you the truth. One of the reasons I gave was Stephen Greer's reason that the stock market would completely melt down if they actually said, oh, yeah, there's UFOs. Everybody would say, oh, oil's worth nothing and everything would just melt down. And what happened in 2017 when they released the article? Absolutely nothing. Nobody jumped off a building. Everybody went, yeah, I knew that already. Now tell me what's in the craft. And that's what happens. It's like gay marriage. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. When did gay marriage come, come into effect? Everyone, it's like, I don't know, 20 years ago. Nobody knows. It just happens. It will flip overnight. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's going to happen here. It's a gradual thing and it's a simulated universe. That's the big thing. It's not so much, uh, the, the, the beings, but because they forced this thing out into the public, out of the black world, now you can talk about it in academia. You can talk about it in the Pentagon and you're going to get, it's going to, it's moving very, very fast because you have academia talking about this. And they're talking about simulated universe and what's really go, going on. And I can say the stupid things I'm saying, and it's, it's not off the chart anymore because there's other people talking about the same thing. So I think this is moving pretty fast since 2017. I never would have believed I saw this. Absolutely mm-hmm. not a chance that I believe this would ever happen. Mm. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. I mean, yeah, you should read more books. It doesn't seem like you have a lot of information. <laughs> uh, think about, you know, reading. I'm just kidding. Your recall is incredible. Uh, it really is. Um, dude. <laughs> so my, it is like. But, but, where does main, it, but where, that's the question is, where is it coming from? Your where consciousness. Is it, it's flow state is the, when you're the, there. A, B, C, D, and E is consciousness. When I I talk, I don't know what I'm going to say 15 seconds from now, but I know in 15 seconds, somebody's going to put something in my head to talk about. It just comes in. Nobody's planning it. It's channeling. It's all channeling. It is. Well, you know, my safety rests in your hands with this next question, Grant. So I want you to take this with a degree of seriousness, okay? (laughs) Okay. Um, so I spoke with Deb the other night, you know, Nathan hasn't heard this yet. I don't think Flair's heard this one, Mm -mm. but 
Uh, I have a tendency to spend a lot of time going out in the woods with my dogs, Athena and Julia. Athena is about 50 pounds. Julia is about 10 pounds. Um, And I told Deb that I was going to try to manifest Bigfoot to come up to me (laughs) because I think it would be so cool. And I'm all this time. There's nobody around. What if he came out? And Deb feels that I could be in grave danger were I to manifest Bigfoot. So Grant, I'll start with you and then we'll go around. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, again, it comes to this good evil thing. I mean, are there evil, uh, Sasquatches that are running around eating people or whatever? I mean, we, we sort of build this in because it's unknown. We build it in. I I believe there's a connection. So once you get into the phenomena, it's like the hitchhiker thing. Suddenly the phenomena starts coming to you. If you start reading about it and getting interested and you start to manifest this stuff. And I had the one, I'll tell you the one interesting Sasquatch story. I had 76. Uh, There was an air base. It's no longer an air base, but on the south fence, there was a woman who saw a a being looking in a nine foot window. Her kid had colic in the middle of the night and uh, the dogs were going crazy down the street trying to get off their their leashes and stuff like that and the one aboriginal tracker took me and showed me where this thing had gone and and i say if you think that there's sasquatches that are living in forests and hiding give your head a shake because i live in a place where where that is there's like one tree per mile and it's the flattest part on earth if you're a nine foot sasquatch you have a very hard time hiding behind one tree (laughs) right right and and so the thing was he showed me there was a there's a creek and there was a couple of bushes there and this thing went up the creek and he said it was 250 pounds he broke through the snow this thing did not not break through the snow and it went in you can see the broken branches and went into the middle of this clearing and that's where the footprints ended which indicated something picked it up so there is this connection whether they're dropping them off or uh, to go to the bathroom or whatever, but you start talk to Sasquatch people, you'll see a lot of Sasquatch people believe it's it's etheric beings as well that they're they're uh, manifesting. It's all part of the same sort of thing. It's almost like the universe has so many different levels, so many different dimensions, realities, and you know vibrations and stuff that everybody's playing a game. So I, I want a world with Sasquatches, so I can create this world to have Sasquatches running around, and it's just making it more complex that it's all being created by consciousness, and there there there's like probably 3 million different levels and, and types of environments we haven't even seen before. And, and it's all, but it's all going to be created just by making the world more complex because the person that's watching it, the source wants entertainment. It's like, if you go to a movie, if you're in a movie and, and, and you, everybody wants everything good. We, we want, we don't want any bad stuff. We want God to sit and watch us drink coffee around a coffee table for 75 years. You go to the movie because everything's going bad and the character's under attack and, you know, and, and he overcomes and that's what life is about. So that's what we're doing is this, this idea that we're creating this, these uh, ups and downs and, and this almost like a movie and we overcome this thing and we put another challenge in front of us. And so the Sasquatch I think is, 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 is part of this whole thing, but I definitely think it's connected to UFOs because that was the thing. The UFOs were in that area. There was 32 uh, horses disappeared. There was all these bizarre things happening around this area. And there's no way a Sasquatch was hiding. Well, maybe maybe I shouldn't try to connect with one of them. Nathan, Nathan, what do you think? Should I not <laughs> be trying to manifest Sasquatch? Well, I mean, I think uh, if anybody could and, and should, I, I'd be okay with you doing it. I think it would be a, a pleasant experience. Uh, you know, you've got such a warm spirit that I think it would be okay. Um, but you never know. I, I want to come back to something you said, Grant, about the, the ocean an- analogy of consciousness and you know, what, one analogy that I've heard to help describe what's happening here is that uh, just as a wave is an appearance on the ocean, you can't take that wave out of the ocean. 
It doesn't exist independent of the ocean. And so what we are is sort of these, we are all just manifestations, different manifestations of the water. You know, we have an appearance of separateness, an appearance of being distinct, but we really are the same thing. And that's really kind of what's happening here. I think of it in this way too, just as an analogy with modern psychology, you know, you can be a person who can have disassociated uh, uh, alters. You know, they use the, that, that, that's the word that is used, altered personalities. And that's essentially consciousness as well, that it's when it's, when it's non-altered, when it's at its base state, as you mentioned earlier, it, it's essentially kind of alone or, you know, solitude. It's, it's very boring. And so it disassociates into all of these different, you know, entities, which is us and the others. And we are all playing in mind space, essentially. Yeah. And as we kind of intersect with each other, the way in which we see them, the way in which they see us, it is all interpreted through the lens of that of that conscious experience. And so it does vary based on what their conscious experience of the universe is, what our conscious experience of the universe is. Sometimes we never intersect, but we are all part of the same thing. You you mentioned why I'd like to get this in before we close, but um, you talked about this uh, alters, which is another big thing I did in contact modalities, which I think is a very important thing to study. When you look at alters, you hear these stories that when the alter comes in, it changes eye color. It doesn't have a disease. It has this or whatever. That's all DNA. And so if you take a look at Jay-Z Knight, who was the channeler for, for uh, she did the, the experiment where she's, she's Ramtha. They do the DNA test and they, they, and then she has three different tests done. Then when she's normal and in the normal one, she's a female from French accent, uh, uh, um, ancestry. And when she's Ramtha, she's male and, and this sort of stuff. And that seems to indicate DNA, maybe consciousness. And I, I actually had Bashar, I had a bunch of people. I, I still want to do this test. I want to get ions to do it. Cause if you take a look at the, uh, even remote viewing, when Lynn Buchanan, uh, mind melded with Saddam Hussein, they said his eye color changed to brown. Hmm. And that's this whole thing is even consciousness may be DNA, that if your consciousness changes, if an alter comes in and takes over your body, your consciousness may change. And I'm determined to get that studied because I've got all sorts of examples of this happening. All you need is one more white crow and it's game over. What are you going to say if the person's consciousness changes when they're channeling? And it's got to be a, a direct, it's got to be a trance channel where they're completely cut off. That's these things of levels. So you have different levels of channeling. When you get a trance channel, the person is completely gone. They're not even there. They don't know what's going on. Their left brain is completely gone. And the, the thing comes in and I have so many, I'm trying to get ions to do it because they're doing this stuff with, with uh, trance channelers. And there's so many examples of, of this happening where um, the person can speak different languages mm -hmm. and this sort of thing. I think it's very important. And again, it shows us that we, we haven't got a clue what's going on. Mm -hmm. we, it, the, the, the whole phenomenon is going to be a lot less physical than people think it is. It's going to be a lot more spiritual than people think it is, which is really going to you know, pee off a bunch of people. <laughs> the scientists are going to be reaching for the cyanide pills when they realize, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is all wrong. It's going to be at least a thousand times more complex. And I maintain it will not have a single hint of capitalism in it. Uh, this beehive thing, it's the idea is that they're all working together as one like cells in a body. And when you get that one cell decides it's going to go its own way, that's called a cancer cell. And that's what we got in the situation in the world today. It's it's the, the me over we 
It's, uh, you know, the, the separation and the separation, the more we break down the separation, the more we uh, have individualism, the worse it gets. We have to realize we're all one thing. Or even the, the, I put on Facebook the other day where Edgar Mitchell had the experience where he was uh, um, on the moon. And he said, you know, you suddenly got the oneness thing about how it was all one thing. And he'd like to grab a politician by the neck and grab him out. And take them out to 250,000 miles and say, look at that, you stupid. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing. It's oneness is the key message that they're trying to get across. The oneness message. And uh, unless we do, we're gone. But again, even if we destroy the world, it's all experience. It's a multi-life universe. We come back over and over again. You come back some other planet, whatever, whatever is happening. You either learn from it or you don't learn from it. You come back until you learn the lessons. You just keep playing, running the play until you get it right. That's what it's all about. It's about experience and it's about trying to make the world a better place. When you see the beings, people say, why would they come here? Because when you get out of this capitalist world of rape, pillage, kill and steal, whoever's got the most toys when they die wins, then you realize it's all about trying to be a better person and a better universe and, and make it a bigger and better place. That's what it's all about. And that's what you see, whether it's spirits or beings is that what they're doing why why would they be helping us that's because they're trying to make the world a better place instead of uh, you know people want to escape the karmic wheel we're going to go sit on a beach in hawaii and drink mai tais i said how many billion years do you think you can sit on a beach and drink mai tais in in hawaii it's going to be like a kid kid in the back seat of a car are we there yet kind of like, oh, this is boring come on are we it's all about experience and excitement and and trying to do it and i'm i appreciate what you guys are doing we're all doing our little job here and the more we do the more consciousness rises, it's like African-American rights or anything else. We're no different than any other social or political movement. They make bad jokes about us. They can say whatever they want. The more we talk about it, the more the consciousness rises and the more in the end, everybody will know what to do. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to flip, but it, we have to talk about it. The more we talk about it, the better it is. That That's very inspiring that you say that and make that analogy because I, I agree. And I think I uh, share those values with my uh, co-hosts here. Uh, everybody's going to say goodbye. Uh, Debs. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your vast amounts of knowledge with us. I appreciate it greatly. Yeah. Make sure you give me your story so I can put it in my book. I will. <laughs> oh, you're going to, you'll be seeing Debs yeah, again in, 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 in a short period of time. Kevin. Hey man. Thanks for, thanks for your insights. You're welcome. I mean, yeah, dude, you're, you're awesome. You're, you're a fast talker. You actually intimidated me. To talking slower. <laughs> yeah, it was great meeting you. So thank you for being here. Seriously, okay. you're you're someone I, I really looked up to in this. Thank yeah, you. in this field. Money. Yeah, I want, want to echo that as well, Grant. Um, I've been listening to you for quite some time, and I've enjoyed watching your own journey uh, through the, the, this topic. And you know, we are incredibly grateful to have you with us and to get this message out. Um, I can feel the passion that you have for it, and I think our audience uh, can as well. And want to thank everybody uh, who was in the audience today, uh, participating in the chat. Uh, just really happy to have everyone here. And uh, and and where where can folks uh, find you, Grant? Where, where's the best place to find you now? Um, it's all connected. Publishing uh, is my website where I have uh, I, I put some articles on there, and I've got my books. And my presidential UFO Facebook is where um, I post new stuff that happens every day. I sort of. Uh, Poke the bear every once in a while there on Facebook. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. Yeah. We'll and let, let me leave you with my my one last line because we've got a musician here. Uh, the words of John Lennon: "It'll all be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end." 
Mm. Oh, I love it. He put on his glasses too to look like John. I love, <laughs> love it. That. Yeah, love that. Man, Thank that you. is fantastic. Like I said, very inspiring. Uh, we'll try to get uh, if we can get all your details. Then in our show notes, we will put them uh, so that everybody can find you. Uh, thank you for all the books that you've read and written and uh, educating those of us like us that have been here in the topic for about 10 minutes uh, uh, and educating us on, on what it's all about and expanding our minds so that we don't get trapped in our, our own biases and our own uh, uh, thoughts that we've we've already had. You know, I'm trying to expand, you know, my universe of, of thought about the phenomenon and Talking to people like my co-host and your people like yourself that are more venerable are what makes that happen. So thank you very much. Namaste for Nathan, for Kevin, for uh, Debs. This is DJ saying peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road. Thank you.